this this is going to be an interesting one, Dan, and I'm going to need your help a little bit. Okay. I'm going to need you to <laughs> maybe give me the Socratic method on this one. <laughs> I think you're going to need to kind of reverse engineer being a teacher to guide me through this episode because you have some supplementary knowledge mm-hmm. about this topic. I, I did the research I could. What I have is a few chunks of slightly related information that I would like to go over. Okay. <laughs> slightly <laughs> so, related to the other chunks? Like, exactly. Oh, okay. They're all, it's all electricity. But I figured we could cover s- some of the basics of electricity, how distribution works, c- renewables, uh, the, the cons, pros, that. Um, mainly pros. I want to be clear about that. I'm not anti-renewable. <laughs> um, transformers, Ohm's Law, these are some things I want to cover. Mm. Okay. That's good. But we're, we're going to have to figure out a way to navigate through this tactfully. <laughs> There's some fine lines here. Let's be yeah. clear. We could really put ourselves in the grave with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, this started with me watching a single video about the electrical grid in this country and kind of just... Uh, realizing that there was an incredibly complex system that kept this thing going that I took for granted. Oh, yeah. And that being electricity. Something I just expect to be there and working. And not only does it work, well, I can't, we, we really have to cover the full thing. Yeah. It really, the, the, uh, it's all in the details, just the sheer admiration what stunned me the most that I first learned was that, well, if, first off, I didn't know everything was connected. Mm. The entire, every, every power plant is connected to every other power plant in, in a broad sense. And there's four zones mm-hmm. in North America. Most of that is covered by two zones, the eastern interconnection and the western interconnection. Those split about just west of the Dakotas and kind of like Texas right there. Mm. Up into Canada too, right? Yeah, it goes up into Canada, does not go down into Mexico. Mm. Whoops. But that covers, you know, it goes from that divide in each direction, but then there's two electrical separatists, they're called. (laughs) Wait, they're actually called that? I guess that's the term I heard. (laughs) Um, The one we know of, because it was in the news recently, Dan, I believe you have some things to talk about that, and that is Texas. They have kind of their own grid for a decent chunk of the state, and then Quebec in Canada also has their own. Of course. Yeah. Now we know the Texas of Canada is Quebec. Right. (laughs) Well, I think they have tried to secede, haven't they? They've they've been, like, there's been... um, Ballot initiatives to oh, man. leave Canada. I mean, they're the super French part, right? And then everything else is like pretty English and yeah. native. I think, Dan, that it would be logical if we start at the very basics. Mm-hmm. And I want to go over just some terminology that you've probably heard, might not have uh, an under, a great understanding of. We now also have to worry about it upsetting an entirely new class of people, and that is electrical engineers, electricians, and anybody (laughs) with a passing interest in electronics, uh, Uh, if I mess some of this up. So I'm going to be talking a lot about volts. Um, I heard a very good explanation of breaking down Ohm's Law. Have you heard of Ohm's Law? 
Yeah, just by name. You, you, you probably covered it in, like, high school physics, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I took a class my freshman year of high school called Industrial Arts, I think. Oh. IA Tech, Industrial Arts Technology. Whoa. And it was just a broad course of all things um, shop-like, I guess. We did a quarter of metals. Oh, hell quarter yeah. of small engine work. A quarter of electronics, like basic electronics. And then... Um, Drafting was the last quarter. Wow. That's like four courses in one. That's great. Yeah. Um, it was crazy, too, because it was like we didn't do – I don't think we did computer drafting. I think we did like hand drafting, you know, like <laughs> yeah. drawing out buildings and stuff. Wow. Um, anyway, we did a little bit of a deep dive in electronics on things like this. And Ohm's Law is a basic formula – that you will often see in a triangle. And I think there's another thing that kind of does that triangle, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Not in electronics specifically, but other... It might be like a velocity, something, you know, one of those. You mean the delta? Oh, oh density, density, mass, volume. It's, it's a oh. very similar relation, right? Where if you... The three components of Ohm's law are voltage, resistance, and current. Mm. And that's V, I, and R is how those are represented. Voltage you get by multiplying the amperage by the resistance you know it's that like triangle you following that yeah it's kind of hard the, the terrible thing to have to describe in an audio <laughs> but so volts are kind of the measure of how much force is behind any electrical current i'm going to use an analogy that's like a tube with marbles mm, nice and it is just full of marbles so the second you push a marble into this tube marbles popping out the other end you know what i'm saying so it's all filled Yes, and that's just the current filling it. So volts are how much force is pushing on these marbles. Okay. Current is going to be how many of these marbles are passing by a point in any given second. Mm. In, in, when you're talking about actual electricity, instead of like a marble or however many marbles, it's measured in coulombs, which is a large chunk of electrons. And it's like a huge scientific notation number of electrons because it it too small it would be like too hard to measure or track or something yeah. like that okay yeah and then resistance measured in ohms current is amps voltage is volts obviously mm-hmm. resistance is in ohms and that would be like how much uh friction there is on the inside of the tube that is hindering the movement of the marbles sure resistance yeah yeah i guess it <laughs> it works even just as the yeah so we got like we got force is volts, space speed basically is current, and uh, resistance is resistance. I'll get into a little bit later, in just a minute here about like transformers and stuff. Because do you know how transformers work at all? Vaguely. It was shockingly simple. I yeah. thought it was going to be <laughs> a much more complicated job than it, it really is. It's like an on ramp and an off ramp for a highway. Basically, yeah. And it, it does, it highlights, there's this weird um, mystical connection between electricity and magnetism that yeah. <laughs> deeply, makes me deeply unsettled. Uh, it's basically <laughs> magic as far as, I, it is cl- the closest thing we have to magic because it's el- both electricity and magnetism. And it's, I swear to God, I think I heard somebody say you can basically turn 
like a turbine around, you know, it can be a motor. They're like the exact same process working in reverse motors and turbines. Oh, I oh. see. Okay. So you can make a turbine, something that's spinning because of a force acted upon it. Into you, electrical energy, whereas a motor is using electrical energy uh, to yeah. make magnetism move a motor. And literally just turning the opposite direction. Yeah. Hell it's pretty yeah. much like flipping a switch the other way. In this country, for most of the power distribution, we use alternating current. DC and AC are the two. We use alternating current for a variety of reasons. The, ma the major one is that alternating current is very easy to step up and down in voltage because when it's generated, <laughs> it's generated at extraordinarily high voltages. Like it leaves power plants sometimes as high as like 24,000 volts. Jesus. And we can't really is, like tamp that down. We, we can't no, slow, I mean, that's like, slow the roll. That, it, geez, that'd be like if, uh, you know, every faucet in your house was a fire hose. <laughs> right? It's, it's just too much to handle. Too dangerous. And alternating current is very easy to step down. It, it's the only thing that transformers work with efficiently. I don't know why. And I'm sorry, but... I think that's okay. In a basic sense, the way transformers work... Yeah, on all levels, because there's multiple kinds of transformer, and you've seen a lot. I'll talk about that in a second. Mm. If you could imagine for me, just like a, if you had a bar of iron, right, and you folded that up so it made a square. Okay. And you had kind of like a picture frame looking chunk of iron. And on, two si on one side of that, there's electrical wiring coiled around it. And then on the other side, there is another coiling of wire however this one has fewer coils and they're not attached the coils to each other no but via the iron bar they are yes okay and the electricity traveling in this coil around the iron makes a magnetic field and that magnetic field induces on the other wire at a lower voltage because there's fewer coils in it jesus yeah. You following? <laughs> yeah, but it is definitely just magic. It is. It is. It's. <laughs> nobody's talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> the world changed when we got electricity. It is magic. Yeah. Like I was saying, it leaves power plants at a very high voltage, and it gets stepped down several times before it plugs. Before you, you know, you're using it. Mm. The first major place that would be is a substation, and power going from the power plant to the substation, and then from you know, substations to other substations. They're using these high-voltage lines. You've seen them a thousand times. The big, tall ones, you know, the, the oh, have yeah. the metal structure. You see, like, a hillside with a gash down the middle, and you Absolutely. see the lines running up it. Love that. I love that visual. Oh, yeah. So then it gets to a substation, and as far as I understand, the main job of the substation is to step down. It's just full of transformers. It's a bunch of transformers. Oh, Okay. That's not storage? No. And we'll talk about that. Oh, there Jesus. is basically no way to store electricity on a, on a practical level. Uh, <laughs> of that size, I mean, you know. Uh, okay. So, yeah, that was an insane statement. But, uh, you know, there <laughs> are like, limits batteries? to how much electricity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is a limit to how much electricity. But that, wait, that's not. Oh, gee, I'm getting ahead of us. Sorry. <laughs> That is still, when it leaves a substation, it's still at an extremely high voltage. It gets stepped down again 
on the feeder lines, the wooden poles you see in a street. Mm. And you've seen a lot of those have those trash can looking things attached to them. <laughs> Perfect description. That is, yeah, right? That is another transformer, and that steps it down to two different voltages. Mainly 120 volts. That's oh. what your outlets are. Oh, yeah. And then the two, 220, 240, somewhere in there, the ones that like washer and dryers oh. and water heaters use. Greg would the know. The big plugs. Yeah. 230, maybe. I think 230 is right. Okay. And then isn't there another step down with like the cords that we use? Yes. So when you plug Dear your phone God. in, that power block has a transformer in it that steps it down because if you plugged your phone in to 120 volts, it would explode. <laughs> it steps it down. It steps it down to about five volts what? is generally the most you're charging with. So it's 120 up to the plug in my wall, but then yes, if so you stuck a fork in that outlet, that would be 120 volts coming at you. Ah, uh, isn't a but taser I, like 10,000 or something? It could be because. And I'm pretty sure, I, I don't have the exact science on this one. I remember talking about this in electronics. Voltage is not what kills you. It oh. is the current. Oh. So you can get zapped. You know, like people can survive lightning strikes. Mm. That's a lot of electricity. Yeah. God's um, electricity. You can get hit with a ton of volts as long as the current is not that high. because that. So there's not actually quite as much electricity going through you, right? It's just going through you very quickly Oh, in a way. It's not a one-to-one speed, you know, sure. they, don't, they don't exactly match up, but. We got power transmission, right? Or uh, distribution? I'm sorry, you're talking about the stages? Well, like, that's kind of what we just covered, right? The lines In and. A, a little bit, yeah. Okay. Transmission and distribution. It. Okay. The, this is this is a totally scatterbrained episode. There's no <laughs> logic to this, but okay. I got ex- very excited about electricity for a few days there. Uh, unfortunately, I got over that, so I wish I still had that fervor. <laughs> if only we could have recorded that night I saw that video, I think. <laughs> so you said, um, you said when the electricity comes out of the power plant, it's like something, it's like tens of thousands of volts. What was that number? It can be as high as like 24,000 volts. Oh, dear God. Okay, so you got like one power plant, thousands of homes, you know, and by the time it like steps down through the lines and the transformers, comes to our outlets at 120 Mm -hmm. volts. Jesus. Now, okay, so let's get into this storage thing, though, because that confused me. Right. So battery technology is not awesome. We don't, we're not in a super good spot. You know, lithium-ion is great for small electronics, stuff like that. And even, you know, a Tesla car, like an electric car, has lithium-ion batteries. But oh. if you open those up, it's just tons of little lithium ion batteries in it in in like parallel it's not one big battery because in a lot of those you need you know i'm sure if it got that large it would just be too much of a hazard because they're very violent they can get very violent lithium ion batteries i don't know if you've seen like explosions if you puncture one yeah yeah they'll explode or dude that was the thing with like vapes exploding 
Yeah, because um, there's like a chemical were, reaction inside those batteries, right? Almost, I'm pretty sure every single battery we use pretty much is is chemical reaction uh, based. Like car batteries are like lead acid; <laughs> they have liquid in them. So it's not even like and the electricity is just bouncing around and they're waiting for us to use it. It's like we plug it into something and the chemical reaction starts. I believe so. Yeah, it's stored as as chemicals, oh. and then the chemical reaction somehow creates <laughs> electricity. <laughs> um, you you can't really safely store electricity on a large scale. So the most fascinating, and this is this is probably the most fascinating part about the electrical grid for me, is that it is pretty much meeting demand exactly at all times. It has to adjust constantly the amount of power that each plant is producing to make sure that when you plug something in, it'll A, work. It won't flicker. It won't stutter. There won't be brownouts or surges or anything. It has to be at the constant rate of 60 hertz. That's what the alternating current in this country, or then the whole national grid is, it's 50 hertz in uh, England. Okay, and we're 60, you said? We, we're at 60 hertz. And okay. it's, it's actually so predictable that it's 60 hertz that a lot of electronics use it to keep time. If they need to keep time, they will use the, the rate of the current as the basis for their In, in our method. power grid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And so since everything's connected, if, say, a power plant goes down, well, we need, we need to have a discussion about electrical inertia. Ooh. But basically, if a power plant goes down, other power plants need to ramp up. Sure. And um, they have what's nice, what's handy, is they have time to do this. You know, a power plant could say something horrific happened. A missile struck a power plant, you know, like <laughs> it just completely wiped out. <laughs> just immediate shutdown. Oh, okay, let's actually, let's step back. I need the generator to be there still, not missile. <laughs> Shut down, yeah, just something happened. You know, somebody cut all the wires at once. Nice. And, um, <laughs> that also wouldn't work. The point is, this power plant is offline. There, there's limitations on all this because yeah, we need they this gotta generator. replace the equipment thing is, or something. Yeah, sure. The turbines, and this is crazy, Dan. Every turbine at base level is spinning at exactly the same speed as the tick rate of the alternating current. So the, 60... 60 times per second. They, oh. The tick rate is 60 hertz. So that's 60 cycles per second of the alternating current. Yeah. And turbine speeds are 3,600 RPM, God. which is 60 times per second. And, and it's just that, the spinning with the magnets that it is. generates the but electricity. Because those turbines, and they're designed this way, are so big, they are so much iron, and it's so heavy, all these turbines spinning, that if they lose the ability to get power, there is time for the grid to realize that something has happened, kick mm. up output at other nearby, and pipe it in because of that, it's called electrical inertia. And that's, those turbines have so much energy in them that they've already gotten up to that speed that they just keep spinning and spinning and spinning and generating electricity, even when they're not powered. 
they still have all that. Yeah, because there's uh, not like they stop immediately. Them, right. right. Oh man. If they did, that would probably rip the entire thing apart. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you just clamp the brakes on one of those things, it would destroy it. But oh man. Now, that reminds me. I, we'll we'll come back to that later with one of my little tidbits. Uh, keep that part in mind of self destruction. Well, maybe do you want to do you want to hit me with a tidbit? Oh yeah. Before I go back to sure uh, covering a little bit about renewables, we'll take a little commercial break. So um, one of the one of the ways I mean we'll get into like what spins the turbine. I'm assuming you said renewables. But like hydropower, hydroelectric power is basically just water spinning the turbine, yes? Yes. So this one power plant in Scotland, it's actually two lakes. One is at a higher altitude than the other. And basically uh-huh. at peak electrical usage, when they need to really crank that thing and keep it going, they basically drain the top lake lake through the power plant spinning the turbine Mm -hmm. and then like overnight when nobody's using a lot of electricity they literally pump the water back up to the top lake but they were saying they were showing this um like basically how they slow it down and they were they were saying that it's not like you can just close a door uh, on Mm -hmm. on a lake's worth of water rushing through your pipes you have to like they have this huge mechanism and i'm talking about this pipe is like the diameter of like the bedroom that i'm sitting in right now it's a big pipe yeah (laughs) yeah they have this huge thing that slowly over the course of like half a minute like slows down and then ends the flow yeah i think it actually it's like a gate that's just slowly starts diverting it into a secondary channel Right, yeah, it doesn't because you really can't even compress stop it. water at all. Yeah, you yeah, you just have to move it because and if you just stop it, sorry, if I, am I stepping on your? No, that's it. That's the one self destruction. Yeah, the water hammer is what it's called when like the water the pipes knock around because the water mm. can't go anywhere and you can't compress it, so it has to go somewhere. So it ends up moving the, the pipe work, and that's when you hear pipes in your house like rattling if you turn off a tap. I've had that in an old house. Oh yeah, that's, that's what's same. happening there. I didn't realize the, the destruction that was happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you actually brought that up because that is one of the potential solutions to the major problem we have with renewables where, I mean, and don't get me wrong, renewables are great, but the, the problem with them is that because they lack that electrical inertia, mm. they aren't prepared to meet exactly the needs of the electrical grid. It's great for, uh, you know, covering like the top end of stuff, mm. but we're we are pretty much going to need something with that either electrical inertia or, in the case of that, dam battery, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I guess that's like potential energy or something that is or gravitation something with you know the water. That's a way to get that, or you know, we might just always need some kind of more you know, reliable well yeah because pretty much besides solar and wind every single kind of power generation if unless i'm missing one is you know using water or steam to spin turbines 
Right. Because in you know hydroelectric, you're directly using the water, but in all the other ones, you're boiling water so that the steam will spin the turbines, and you're using right. some sort of fuel source for that. That's why, like, at power plants, you see, like, the steam coming out the top, right? That's what we're looking at there? In, in some cases, yeah, in, in, in a lot of cases. In nuclear, that's from the cooling of the reactor, but I guess that I think the cooling of the reactor is actually in lockstep with the, mm. you know, I think they accomplish it at the same time. They <laughs> evaporate the water. It's that a double is whammy. It off, so. Yeah. Wild. Do you know, do you, um, did you look up that Texas thing? Do you know much oh, about yeah. the Texas? Yeah, and a couple of things that you explained more clearly than I could understand from reading made it make a lot more sense. Oh, it's okay. a wild, wild story. Can you tell me? Any, I know nothing about what happened. Um, essentially, just the sheer spike in demand for electricity caused a ripple effect throughout the system. Like all of the industries that feed into creating electricity, like natural gas, railroads, um, you know, there was like a drop in supply with the solar panels covered in snow, wind turbines frozen. And uh, they, they were basically four and a half minutes away from a, uh, a complete grid collapse. Ooh. Which would take sometimes months to re recoup from. So you can see one of the distinct advantages of not being on your own power grid. Yeah. Of yeah. being part of the national grid. Yeah. Um, which I guess, like, there really wasn't much I could find about the history of that because I think it just kind of happened <laughs> organically once the, like, public housing and there was an act in 1935 that made electricity a public mm. thing. You know, it became like a, a utility that was monitored by the government. Nice. But even before that, in in the tw- 10s and 20s, when it was starting, power plants that were near each other would hook up to each other <laughs> in case something. They, they were like, why Why not? You know, like. Yeah. And then it, so that I think it kind of developed organically, and then it just became a standard thing once the government started regulating it. It kind of needed to all be on the same standards so that everybody could be hooked up to each other. Yeah, they were probably thinking just for, like, wartime um, safeties, you know? Yeah, there is. Let me see. There was one subsection on the um, Wikipedia page for the North American Power Transmission Grid that was attacks by foreign countries. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's nothing. Oh. It's that just in 2009, the Wall Street Journal reported about spies from China and Russia who penetrated the U.S. Elect- this is a direct quote, penetrated the U.S. electrical grid and left behind software programs that could be used to disrupt the system. Uh. According to U.S. officials, the spies did not seek to damage the power grid. However, they might be able to do so during a war or crisis. Most of the intrusions were detected by American intelligence agencies. Uh, duh. All of the intrusions that we know about were detected. <laughs> yeah. How would we know about the undetected ones? Oh, uh, that's um, frightening. Yeah, so let's see. The How can... I guess a good solution would be, if we needed power plants, we need to get over this fear of nuclear. I think if we just had a few nuclear power plants kicking around, that'd be a good... Yeah. Because you know, if, if we're trying to aim for where most of the 
energy would be coming from renewables anyway. I feel like running kind of like a lower capacity nuclear power plant, a lot safer. That would be like the fallback to maintain the like consistency, right? Because that was, you said, a major problem with like some renewables. Yeah, because, you know, first off, you know, sometimes wind just ain't blowing. You know, sometimes the clouds, <laughs> sometimes there's cloud coverage and the photovoltaic cells don't work. You know, if like, or like what if it was something like Texas? Like everybody's, yeah. everybody's turning on their heater, but the solar panels are covered in snow. Oh, yeah. And the wind turbines are frozen. Not only do we have no supply, we've got more demand than we did before. They're not consistent enough to yeah. be the main source. So something like that stored, water stored, uh, I don't remember the name of the type of generator that was, like water storage generator or something, but those are good, but you can pretty much only have those places where you have mountains or just, you know, I guess you could, in theory, if we can build a power plant, we could just make like man-made reservoirs, right? Like we could just, instead of, if we didn't have mountains, you could just dig real deep. Yeah. Yeah, and have the water go down into the ground. <laughs> I mean, we probably um, have a bunch of pre-dug holes from mining and stuff. Yeah, true. That like quarry just use a mine shaft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hook, <laughs> hook up some pumps. God, you know that mine near the lime? I think it's limestone quarry near Ames. Yeah, we took a field trip there for one of my classes. Uh, drove a bus down into it. That was Ooh. freaky, man. But just imagining that just rushing with thousands and thousands of gallons of water, probably millions. Yeah, the what did in that video about the the one in Wales, it was like a swimming pool's worth of water every <laughs> second or something. Yeah. Which are like five to ten thousand gallons for the home ones, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh God. It's immense. So one thing I wanted to ask you about to make sure that I understood this correctly was, so the problem with like maintaining consistency is important because, right, it's that 60 hertz that we need to maintain because, and this is what I want to make sure I get right, if, if it deviates from that, one, I didn't even know about the timekeeping thing, that would probably go haywire, right, if the if this hertz changed. Yes, there was even, I don't remember where it was, but there was somewhere in Europe where a couple of countries were operating at a slightly different, and so there, by like the end of a year, the clocks there were like six or seven minutes behind <laughs> the EU clocks. Oh, get wrecked. So there's yeah, that. Yeah, so that was something they had to... But also, like, it could fry your electronics, like your household electronics, right? If too much was going, yeah, or, you know, if there wasn't enough to m meet the 60 hertz, your lights would flicker. Mm. Oh, okay. You know, it, it's just we... Everything runs smoothly because everything's running at the same speed. All the electricity is at the same speed. It's crazy to just and think constantly. about all of those turbines. Turbines. Well, I just I can't I, I cannot grasp how the supply has to meet the demand like almost instantly. The, right. I want to be in the control. There must be some sort <laughs> of control center for the grid, right? 
at least each region probably has like a master control region or control center. So I I'd did, love to see that war room. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just some unsung heroes down there. So one thing I did read kind of explained a little bit of that, but I read that some, or maybe it was a video that we watched, some power stations, power plants have what's called spinning reserve. So like another, I read this as like another generator, another turbine that's spinning Hmm. like off to the side. And if there's a problem, they just hook that up to the grid and they basically get like an immediate juice. Oh, interesting. That's how I interpreted it. it. He didn't really spend a lot of time on that. I know they're doing some, do you know what a flywheel is? Uh, no. That's something that you can use to, you use the conservation of angular momentum to store energy, basically. So it's like a very thin metal disc that you get spinning really fast. And since it's so you know thin and it's just spinning, there's not really much air resistance it has to cut through and it just stays spinning. <laughs> <clears throat> and so they're working on using these to potentially store electricity on a large scale. The problem is they are insanely dangerous. Um, <laughs> they have to be perfectly calculated because they are going so fast that if one of them were to you know, like break off especially at the theoretical size that they would need them to be, it would it would cut through the housing holding it, it would go through all of the walls of the power plant, and it would probably continue on for miles. Oh, my God. Just tearing apart everything. I watched this uh, this video of uh, <laughs> Jamie, Jamie. No, Adam. Who's the cooler of the Mythbusters, the one who's not the guy with the uh, beret? Uh, Adam. Adam. Adam Savage. It, he was... He, yeah, he was <laughs> building a flywheel, and it was probably, I think it was like six feet in diameter. And they were very worried that it, it was going to break off and go through the city they were in because oh they, they were just doing it in a warehouse. It would have busted through the walls. So and imagine that's if only it was. Six <laughs> yeah, so imagine if it was, you know, you've got a big bank of like 40 of these things that are 25 feet in diameter storing for a power plant. <laughs> If all of them broke loose, you know, it would be like an apocalyptic event in that place. It's like a misfiring rail gun. Yeah, right. <laughs> God. So there's some problems um, with storage, with renewables. Just some some problems that we need to address, not now, but eventually. I think we just need to keep doing what we're doing and just slowly building more renewables so that they can cover a lot of the the top load of the stuff but then crunch time yeah we got the big ones yeah storage would uh bridge the gap right that would be like the consistency measure storage would i saw in that um there was a tom scott video about renewables and he had an idea that is I guess possible, but it would take electric cars being like the overwhelming majority of cars on the road. Because he was saying, if everybody had an electric car, if you're not driving and it's plugged in, you're, you could sell the electricity stored in your car back to the grid. You know, like they could use everybody's electric car that's plugged in as a storage for some electricity. Hmm. 
So you could like, <clears throat> you know, if there was a high demand for electricity, you could sell some of your car's juice oh. and then they would give it back to you and it was cheaper and you'd make a little bit of money off it. Oh man. Oh, wild. I don't know how, like how safe or possible that is, but it's certainly <laughs> a cool idea. Yeah. Listen, I mean, honestly, if this, this thing is so, the power grid is so well coordinated, I wouldn't put it past anybody in that business to be able to pull something like that off. These guys are literal wizards. Absolutely. <clears throat> and I, I don't know, man, it weirds me out. Like if you were gone past a substation and you've heard it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that always makes me uneasy <laughs> when you can just hear the hum. Yeah. Or here's another thing that's spooky about like these, these high voltage lines, you know, that they just keep, they have to keep them like high off the ground, you know, for good reason. <laughs> um, have you ever seen somebody holding like a fluorescent lighting, like one of those uh, fluorescent tubes? No. Under Nearby. one? Oh. <laughs> yeah, there's there's <laughs> enough electrons flying around near those that you can hold up an electric a fluorescent tube under one of those and it'll it'll turn on. Oh God. Isn't that ridiculous? Doesn't what? that make you feel like <laughs> like is it bad to stand under them? <laughs> yeah. Can you? Yeah, I'll think that for like a second, and then I'll remember like all the radio waves we have going every which yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine if you could see radio waves? You'd be blind. You'd be right? blind, exactly. <laughs> you'd be walking through a field of like purple and green. Yeah. I guess it'd be red and blue, but whatever. I have no idea. <laughs> red shift, blue shift. I don't remember which way the spectrum works, yeah. Mm. Let's see, is there anything else that I want to talk about, Dan? <laughs> Can you tell me? <laughs> Now, dude, we got we got generation. Um, let's just get a list of types of power generation. I got six, I think, six or seven. No. Let's see if you okay. can add on. I got hydro. I got wind, solar, geothermal. Oh. Coal, petroleum, sure. nuclear. Uh -huh. Okay. Natural gas. Yeah. Um. I know there's there's some like smaller ones that don't work in large scales. Like um, you ever seen those ones that use waves? Ooh, I got a whole section on waves, baby. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, sheesh. Other than that, I don't know. I don't either. I, I can't believe I didn't think of natural gas. It's literally in the Texas story. All right. Well, hit us with anything you got. All right. Let's talk about waves. Um, so this one blew my mind because just to think that like gravity a gravitational pull from the moon and the sun creates the tides which translates into electricity that powers our homes it's sickening it's it's magic dude just like you said so the the tidal power tidal power t i d a l gets its sort of uh it gets its juice from the change between high and low tide because uh, mm -hmm. there's a lot of water moving through oh, yeah. an area during the the change over there and there's like a few types of basically just picture a wind turbine underwater with some like de design modifications like they look a little bit differently but there are some turbines that we throw underwater that look just like the wind turbines that we have the one that I thought was really cool was tidal barrages. 
a tidal barrage is the most efficient type of tidal power generation. And basically, we create an underwater dam so that as, as um, the water shifts from high to low tide and back, it, the dam sort of acts like a cone and, and water pushes through there with a, a greater amount of force than it would just flowing anywhere regularly. Damn. And that spins a turbine that generates electricity. The, the nice thing is, is that's easy to predict. The not so, you know what I mean? Like high tide, low tide, oh, yeah, yeah. right? The not so nice thing is that high tide, low tide, that doesn't always line up with high demand for electricity. Right, yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the big downsides. There are also like very specific site requirements, right? You can't just build, like, build a, an underwater dam anywhere. Yeah, can you also imagine what a nightmare that thing would be to work on? Oh, God. Well, you'd, you'd constantly have to worry about, like, rust and water getting in. And exactly. That was the third one is machinery. You're exposed to salt water. That's, like, the worst thing. So yeah. that, that was my little spiel on tidal, tidal power. I was very excited when I saw that. You want me to talk about yeah, I don't Texas? Know. I, I, oh, go ahead. Yeah, dude. I get. I mean, I, the only thing I was gonna say was I just. I don't know. I feel like maybe the move is just making solar and wind more efficient is probably the best way we're gonna get <laughs> renewable energy. I think, but yeah, but there then, are still some problems. Yeah, you still gotta have that backup. You know, I wish geothermal was easier. You know, it's super easy in like Iceland where they've got <laughs> all that magma like right by the surface. Yeah, gateways but, to hell. Yeah. I just don't think there's like necessarily uh, enough geothermal hotspots in this country for it to be viable. No, probably not. Probably not. I didn't realize it had to be that uh, like exposed to deep within the crust. I guess I'm just assuming, but because I feel like geothermal power is only big in like Iceland. Right. No, I think I feel like that's a safe assumption. Or like Russia, where they've got all those like mud. Hot mud baths, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Bucket list. You mentioned yeah, ERCOT Texas. before, right? You you mentioned ERCOT? I don't think so. Oh, wow. I just imagine that. Do, do you recognize that, E-R-C-O-T? No. Okay. So that, that became like, I mean, for folks watching the news, it became kind of like a household name for a week, you know, while we were all watching Texas. Back in February 2021. Mm -hmm. So, ERCOT is the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. Ah. And I love that it's a council. Again, <laughs> literal wizards. Oh, sure. Okay, I gotcha. <laughs> There's a round table. So, they're the ones who oversee all of the electrical facilities and machinery. They don't actually operate it, but they're like the... They're like the leaders, you know, they run the show. Uh, and then you have like the specific utilities, like, uh, like where we are right now, we have Pico, Pen uh, uh, Pennsylvania Electric Company, right? And then you have like National Grid uh, in upstate New York. Like those are the local utilities. They're the people who actually mm -hmm. run the show. But ERCOT got a lot of the flack from the Texas disaster, um, not very rightfully so. 
So on February 8th, ERCOT sort of put the word out to suppliers, basically everybody in the electrical supply chain, that they were going to, that, you know, based on the weather reports, we're going to have higher electrical demands, like all hands on deck, basically. They even had to work with the Texas Railroad Commission because that commission is in charge of the oil and gas industry, which feeds natural gas to the power plants. So this was like multi-industry coordination in preparation for this event. Six days later, Valentine's Day, February 14th, we have the first, you know, we have the first day of the storm. Extreme cold temperatures, average of 25 degrees lower than the normal temperature this time of year. So imagine yourself wherever you are in the United States in February. Chop off 25 degrees. That's what happened Yeesh. to Texas. I mean, relatively speaking. Yeah. So, and the, the other thing was this was across the entire state. It wasn't just a local thing. It wasn't just West Texas texas or anything like that it was all of texas and it lasted a long time it lasted these cold temperatures lasted for seven days within the first 24 hours a full quarter 25 percent of the state's power generation was out like a light so you're talking about snow covering solar panels wind turbines are frozen some some like coal plants shut down temporarily because they couldn't, you know, machinery failed in the cold, stuff like that. You got basically like sludge moving through your machinery. And but 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 into the evening of February 14th, they were doing all right. They met the demand of 70,000 megawatts. That was that was on the power grid because everybody, like you said earlier, was cranking up their heat trying to stay warm, those weak Texans, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's colder in <clears throat> Texas. So, no, there you go. Yeah. Um, but slowly, slowly but surely, more and more power generation was forced offline. You know, overnight you have, like, a complete shutoff of solar panels. Those are ineffective. Again, frozen wind turbines and the like. And as a result, the, the high demand for natural gas, which powered a lot of the other power plants, grew. The, the price of natural gra- gas grew 100 times Ooh. in less than one day. So you have, like, this issue with supply. You have, issue, you have the issue with money, and you have the issue with demand spiking like crazy. Now, um, ERCOT, basically what they had to do was they had to do what's called shed load. They had to shed some load. And uh, that's, that's basically what, they, what, you, what, we, what you and I call rolling blackouts, right? Okay. So this section of the state, we're, we're going to black them out for two hours, then we're going to turn them back on. Black this part of the state out for, for two hours and rotate so nobody's really screwed over here. So in the industry, that's called shedding load. Uh, and basically, it was to keep that balance that we've been talking about, keep that 60 hertz, you know, make sure right, supply okay. equals to the demand. Now, Okay, so they had, to, they had to bring the demand down to meet their supply. Exactly, yeah. Okay. That's a good, yes. But it didn't work. 
So okay. yeah. <laughs> the grid frequency continued to drop below 60 hertz. And there's this like critical threshold, 59.4 hertz, which <laughs> soak that in real quick. That's only 0.6 hertz away. It's a small margin of error. <laughs> yeah, very small. So ERCOT, the first night, dips below that 59.4 hertz threshold. I think they were down to like 59.1 or something like that, which is really bad. And they kept shedding load, shedding load, shedding load. And about after about an hour of being below that critical mark, they finally equaled out supply and demand, and they got back up to 60 hertz by about 2 or 3 in the morning on the mm -hmm. 15th. However, looking back, we know that only 4 minutes and 37 seconds is what separated ERCOT oh. from a complete power grid failure. Jeez, so the whole thing would have gone out? The whole under. thing would have gone out, and it's not like flipping on a switch because you have a lot of fried machinery on your hands. Oh, jeepers. Right? You got you to gotta <clears throat> input a lot of energy to get it back going, right? Because you don't have any inertia if it's a complete shutdown. Mm -hmm. Good and point. And this process of getting back up to full capacity can take months, literal months. So we would have been oh seeing news stories of people out of power for weeks, not a week. Four minutes and 37 seconds. That is insane. Yeah. That one did not show up on the news feed. I did not hear no. about that till I was <laughs> yeah. reading. The wholesale electricity prices also spiked, obviously. High demand, low supply, et cetera. And they, there's apparently a cap. I don't know if this is a federal thing, but there's a cap to which uh, electricity utilities can charge customers. Um, but it, it went up to that cap, which is $9,000 per megawatt hour. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, for you and me, that'd be a pain in the butt increase in the electrical bill. But for, like, a hospital or, or a, huh. a huge, any huge building, right? Um, like a, a refrigeration plant, you know, like <laughs> yeah. cold storage oh, or no, something. No, they're yeah. fine this time. They just opened the windows. But a, a heated, oh, sure. <laughs> a, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> indoor soccer fields, on the other hand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Plenty of those in Texas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lots. Soccer's real big down there. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, the providers, the electrical providers spent more money on wholesale electricity in that one week than they would have in four average years. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And that was <clears throat> well, with you know, the load shedding. That's insane. I, one thing that still I can't grasp grapple with i maybe you can help is that it is i guess that's how it works maybe i'm just maybe i'm living in this like kind of fantasy world and i'm thinking oh they're just sharing the electricity but i guess it really is they probably buy and sell it from each other don't they it's like a marketplace yeah if if they're if if yeah i would assume so because i feel especially like since they're all like small companies that are owning little regional parts of the grid for sure yeah and then like how else would one expand right probably buying out another oh yeah yeah uh, yeah that, i think that's a safe assumption the majority of people died from hypothermia of course 
but health officials also attributed deaths to motor vehicle wrecks, carbon monoxide poisoning. I remember hearing about that a lot, too, because people would get generators and, like, oh, put it God. in their freaking living room. Yeah. Medical equipment failure. And then, you know, just general, like, if you had a pre-existing illness, it, you know, the extreme cold and stress just probably exacerbated that. Either way, I think we're, I think we might be at the end of it. What do you think? Yeah, man, I liked, I, this was fun. I, I hope yeah. it was for the listeners too, but this, this research blew my mind constantly. And, uh. Yeah, I learned a lot more about electricity than I thought I would. You know, transformers <laughs> yeah. and all that. Um, get your, get your friends to follow us on the gram, everybody, you know, trying yeah. to. Yeah, oh, a- bombshell announcement. Oh. World changing. Unless I already said it on a previous episode. I don't think so. Later this month will be the first ever all in person, minus Greg. Greg wasn't invited. <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Dan, Paul, and I will be linking up in our old stomping grounds of San Juan, Puerto Rico, <laughs> <laughs> where we <laughs> we cut our teeth as kids. Um <clears throat> We, we are taking a little vacay down to old San Juan. And we are bringing the podcasting equipment with us, with me. Sorry, it's all mine. Um, <laughs> the, I'm just bringing the Frisbee. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what the hell it's going to be on, but it's going to have, there's going to be, if you'll pardon my usage here, there's going to be some electricity to it. There's going to be something in the air. Oh, yeah. Doesn't matter what we talk about, the camaraderie. I haven't seen Paul in years yeah. in person. It's literally five years, four years. Something like that. So it'll be a good one. But uh, there might be a, we might do a little little dictator uh, before that. <laughs> we'll see. A little dicky. Check Avenue.